This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. Today on the podcast, a really spiritual chat with uh, E. Alex Jung, who's a, a really awesome writer um, at New York Magazine and Vulture. If you live in Montreal, I will be there this week. Like right now, tonight, Monday night. I'll be there. I'm already there. I'm actually already there. And you can get tickets at CameronEsposito.com slash tour. I'll be there to the 24th. And then, hey, if you live in Dublin, I will be there the 26th, I think, to the 28th. Tickets are on sale at my website, CameronEsposito.com slash tour. And, um, hey, if you're listening to this and you don't live in either of those places, but you're just like, what can I do to help her out? Not that going to see you stand up is about me. It's about you. I know how much fun you're going to have. Uh, why don't you leave us a rating and review us on iTunes or tweet about us say and tweet at me and say hello you're, I love you consider it anyway please enjoy the episode I've been feeling wrong but I'm still on darling I know I know I know it's careless I just have my favorite chips ever they're, what kind of chips are those? they're these um, not my favorite chips ever but my favorite chips right now are these like kettle ridged salt and pepper chips and they're very uh-huh. good ridged I, for your pleasure I think that's a joke about condoms but <laughs> my experience is very limited <laughs> I always have guests introduce themselves would you introduce yourself Sure uh, my name is Alex Jung. I am a writer at New York Magazine uh, slash Vulture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I guess. Uh, I guess it's weird to always just introduce yourself with your job title, but that seems like what we do in late capitalism. So. Here oh, we are. But what else do you want to say? That's why this is a choose your own adventure. You can do what you want. Right. Right. I guess since it's a podcast, I um and and. Considering the ideas inside of it, I am a, I identify as a gay uh, Korean American male. I'm from Florida. Oh, uh, and I live in Brooklyn now. You're from Florida. Yeah. Where are you from in Florida? <laughs> uh, I'm from St. Petersburg. It's kind I, of. I don't near think Tampa. I've ever been there. I know. I know where it is. I was just recently in Tampa, where there's a population of wild roosters. Do you know that? That sounds right. I, I didn't, but that sounds... It is in the sound, gay neighborhood. Um, <laughs> so there are cocks all over the gay neighborhood. That's what I made. The joke. <laughs> that's the joke I made. And you know what is... The, you know what there isn't? A bar called Cox. Wow. Literally, it's a literally how? opportunity. <laughs> Just how? This is now, well, you know? Also I mean, because every major city basically has a bar called Cox. But or the, the one cock. where it would be the most apropos. And yes, I do mean but. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a real disappointment. St. Petersburg. I don't, yeah, I don't think I've been there. Um, what's it like? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it's... It's hard for me to say, even though I grew up there, because I was very sheltered and uh, I just wanted to get out all the time. Sure. That was all I was thinking about. Uh, So college was really part of this whole escape route that was parentally approved. um, (sighs) And I I came to New York for that. When you say that you were very sheltered, what do you mean? uh, I, you know, I grew up with, uh, I was an only child. Uh, I lived mostly with my mom. Um in St. Pete and I, you know, the, there was a classic kind of emphasis on academics, on doing well. I didn't really fit in, uh, anywhere, uh, both in terms of being a queer kid growing up in a pretty conservative town and also being one of the only Asian kids in the city. So, you know, I think that, that combination of things made me feel, fairly isolated uh 
and and like I it wasn't really a, a space for me. So I think that in my head I had New York as this kind of utopic space, right, where I could sort of flee to eventually when I became an adult. Yeah. The being one of the only Asian kids in the city is like a whole because that's a whole other degree than uh, in my high school or, you know what I mean? <laughs> in right. the city. Um, I, I mean, I guess I don't know what the demographics were. But <laughs> no, but I mean, that was one thing I was going to ask when you said Florida. I I don't know. Like, I mean, not off the top of my head. Do I know of a, like a super vibrant um, community of any Asian persuasion. I'm so sorry I said that. Um, but it, sure. Do you know what I mean? But it was like such I a do. fun rhyme that when it came into my head, I had to say it. Um, yeah. In Florida. So I was wondering if that might be true. How did, did, how did you happen to be growing up in St. Petersburg? I think it was kind of random because my parents met in Florida. Uh, they both were, I think, more adventurous types in certain ways, and they came with their friends to Florida as opposed to commonly common migration spots like L.A. or New Jersey. <laughs> um, so they went to Florida, and they met in Florida and had me, and that's sort of why I was born in Florida. Like they went with their friends to Florida to live, or like they went yeah. on vacation and never left? <laughs> no, they they went there to live. Although I really like the idea that they just decided to like summer in Florida and then just where never was leave. it? Just that <laughs> I was just somewhere that people were talking about that. I don't know. That is a thing, but maybe not. Maybe not in Saint Petersburg. Um, well, that's so. So that's 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 cool that you feel like your parents are adventurous. I feel like my mom. My mom, I think, is actually pretty adventurous. Not to, I'm not, I'm not shitting on my dad, but my mom, you know, moved from a really small town in Ohio to Chicago. Mm. And I look at that, you know, as the person I am who, like, it was really hard to move to LA. Mm -hmm. um, it was like a little less hard to move to Boston because I moved there for college and then just stayed. But when you, when you're like just moving as an adult, like not for school, it's a mm -hmm. very, it's like one of the most challenging things to yeah. just, because you're, you're trying to make friends without a framework, you know, school kind of provides a little bit of a, a landing place. And so anyway, that's just me in the last couple of years. I realized like, Oh mom, that you're kind of cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You did a cool thing, you know, totally. you, that was brave. Um, and immigration especially is, you know, kind of, a, it is an adventure story, right? For all immigrants, you're like, especially if you're an older immigrant who doesn't speak English natively, and then you're going to a country and you're speaking a totally different language and you have to figure all of this out again. That's wild. Like that is Was that the inherently an adventure. Was that the situation with your folks? Yeah. Where yeah. were they so, coming from? Uh, they were both coming from South Korea, uh, different spots in South Korea. Um, were they coming from similar sized cities? Or different sized cities from each other? Uh, my dad was more, he grew up in Jinju. So he grew up in a more rural kind of uh, spot. And then my mom grew up in more of a city. Uh, but they, it was in the south. It wasn't even in Seoul. So it's still not quite a metropolis, you know. I, that's, I mean, that to, even adding like that extra layer of then rural, you know, like that's the whole additional part in terms of getting used to things. Um, right. And what? How old were they when they? When they Ooh, these are questions that I am bad at answering. <laughs> well, give me like a general, general, general range. Uh, I think they were in their thirties, basically, because my dad that's had very bounced. Brave. Yeah, that's because my dad had also brave. bounced around. Yeah, that's wild. Like I can't imagine going to any country that doesn't speak English predominantly right now. I know making a living. <laughs> I know my little sister um, lives in Buenos Aires, and that. And that is a, I don't know, she's like my little sister, you know? So then mm. you have all that stuff where you're like, even though she's a full adult, I'm like, but you're a baby. And so then that's mm. the one where then I have to remember every single time. Oh, she moved to South America alone. <laughs> so like maybe she's the big sister Um, that because that's, that's pretty <laughs> badass. But yeah, your folks moved. Um, What did they... When what do they do, or what did they do when they got to St. Petersburg? 
Uh, my dad is a Taekwondo instructor and my mom is a hairdresser. I, wow. I've never heard, <laughs> I've never heard. That's, was that, how was that? Uh, Growing up around, like, I feel like from an outsider's perspective, that sounds like a movie that goes well. But from the <laughs> in, but as a lived experience, I don't know. Well, obviously, I was probably drawn more to the hair salon than I was to the dojang or the jojo. <laughs> Is that obvious? I mean, I don't know. I I mean, I I don't know. I don't know. I guess it's more uh, classically gay boy in some ways. Yeah, uh, but was I remember. That, was that you, classically gay boy? I don't. You know, probably not. I guess I was more classically nerdy. Um, I don't know if that that quite has a sexuality or that kind of valence <laughs> to it. Um, yeah. So I just like, you know, I studied a lot and I hung out at the salon with my mom during the summers. That makes um, all the sense in the world. I did not understand the, I did not fully understand the nerdy piece fitting in there. And then uh -huh. I'm like, oh, your dad does anything having to do with like a physical bod. Right. I just am going to make some broad strokes. <laughs> right. Statements that that might not be the easiest thing. Although I did do uh taekwondo growing up too. So, you know, Till I, when? Uh, I don't remember exactly how old I was. I did it until I got a black belt and then I could peace out basically. I was like I did my due diligence. Yeah. Here I am. I'm out. Thanks. So, I mean, are you a nerd if you have a black belt? <laughs> like straight up, do they just take the nerd, do you know what I mean? Does that right? Like, well, you're, I mean, at a, like you're at a con, and then uh -huh. and then there's an announcement that's like anybody that has a black belt has to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like my black belt's probably more like derived from nepotism anyway, of some uh. sort. <laughs> So, who knows? Does it really count? I can't fight anyone. <laughs> it's a real Joffrey Baratheon black belt? <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, man. Well, so, what were you into? What stuff were you into? Hmm. Uh, you know, at, at an early age, I was into TV. Uh, that was the age of LimeWire. So I I got a lot of sustenance from downloading stuff illegally from the internet, uh, like Sex and the City and Queer as Folk. Uh, shows like that, that, that sort of made me feel like there was this whole other world that I could eventually escape to, right? Yeah, no um, wonder you thought it was New York or Pittsburgh. Um, <laughs> what, when you say uh, the age of LimeWire, like, I don't know anything about computers or the internet you can tell because i say computers or the internet so for me live limewire is when i'm in college because that's like the when i had a girlfriend that was using it um mm -hmm. so i have no idea how long it was around before then so i have no idea how old you are is my whole point in saying all sure. of this like was I'm, sex what how how old are you i'm 34 oh yeah we're we're sort of peers yeah i'm just yeah. a teeny touch older than you um yeah. What age would you have been when you were watching something like Queer as Folk? So I was in high school. So it would have been around probably like junior year, senior year, stuff like that when I was downloading stuff. And I. Right. Yeah. So we're like four years apart. So I would have been in college. So that makes perfect sense. That lines up. And right. I was also watching Queer as Folk. And mm. it left an indelible impression on me. Um, I like still love that show. And one thing that. I know for sure I didn't know before Queer as Folk was that um, people could have anal sex facing each other. Like, I just had <laughs> no idea that was part of it because I had no sex ed, you know. And right. then when I, like, imagined or saw, you know, like, jokes representing um, butt sex, it was always this, like, you know, it was always from behind. And one thing that that show... Just like the number of times that that show has characters having sex with each other facing each other, I, it like changed my entire, it changed my life. Like that mm. detail in that show changed my life hmm. because it was such a, because I was having a very hard time with my sexuality at the time and mm. seeing 
Not that I need that to be how anybody has sex, but seeing that gay people can have sex, like looking in each other's eyes, Uh that felt very important to me because that, you know, to me, like, you know, eye contact is intimacy and romance. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it was that show that like paved the way for me seeing queer sex or gay sex as being intimate and romantic. Right. And I do think that is definitely like a straight lens, right? Like, I don't know if straight people still know that uh, gay men can have sex uh, looking at each other. (laughs) Or that straight people can have uh, anal sex looking at each other. Because I think even it's represented even in the straight world as like this thing that is very apart from intimacy. Like it's, it's very, it's like a, it's animalistic. Exactly. It's animalistic. And it's about like letting someone do it or it being done to you. It's not like about connection or, you know, the things that like vaginal sex is is about. Right. Um, Right. So, yeah. I mean, what did you think watching that show? You're in high school. Where were you watching it? What what room in on your house compu- or in your on, apartment? In my room. I had a computer in my room where I <laughs> jerked off yeah. watching Queerest. Do you have headphones? Did I have headphones? No, I don't think I did. But I think there was enough space between uh, my room and my parents' rooms or my parents' room that I could... Uh, safely watch it for the most part. <laughs> Did you have like a, a system in mind? Like if they open the door, I'll do this with the laptop or the computer. Like this is how I'll minimize it or slam it oh, shut. Right, right, right. You know, you just like slam the space bar or whatever. You have the yeah. cursor on the pause button just in case. Exactly. And then you can minimize it. And then you're like, yeah. I'm like working on a history paper. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I definitely went to the local blockbuster Um when I was like, this was in high school, which I did not know. I was, I don't know what I thought I was doing because I mm. was like fully dating men, but I went to the local block blockbuster and found like a couple, um, like women, uh, like lesbian indie films. Like there's this one all over me that I rented on like VHS, brought it home, was watching it in the basement. There's no door to my parents' basement. It's just like a staircase. Mm. So it was risky. I would be watching it from <laughs> like essentially kneeling in front of the TV because then I could like eject, you know, like right. I, this is, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, Oh my God, I was a nervous wreck the whole time. But I was just, but I was also like, I have to watch this. And then I was also like, I'm not sure why. <laughs> Am I gay? No, that's not even, I didn't even ask that question. That That right. is not even a question that was anywhere in my brain. What about you? When you were watching Queer as Folk and you're sitting there uh, potentially jerking off. I don't know if you sit while you jerk off. So that's a, so I apologize if that's not true. But, um, <laughs> Uh, what were you thinking about what you were consuming? Were you thinking, I'm I mean, into I this because I'm a gay man? Well, no, I just thought this was hot, right? And that this is what being gay must be like, right? Which is in some ways kind of injurious in in certain ways, like as as liberating and great as, as it was to watch the show. Uh, it also has a lot of ideas about itself and that sort of eventually got perpetuated or I had to deal with when I got older. Yeah, tell Um, me about that. Well, you know, like I think it it sort of was this idea that I I would go to New York and I could like live this uh, life where I could finally be out and being out would mean that I would be desired and I could desire and it would be this like free flowing circuit of like lust and love and all of these things. And, you know, the gay community, especially the gay male community, I think is, doesn't quite work like that. <laughs> How does <laughs> it least, work in your experience? Uh, uh, hierarchical. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. What a good word. What a good <laughs> word choice. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's a, and, and I guess that's probably in the show now. Like I haven't rewatched it, uh, as an adult really. So I, you know, like I assume that they probably deal with that to some degree, but you know, it, it, it is a lot about, but all the characters were white men. I was know? just going to say, I don't know if there is an Asian character in the entire series. I there don't, was one. I don't know. There was there one. Was, there was one. Elliot dated 
a sex worker from Japan. Got it. <laughs> yep. Perfect. And that, uh, that, in my memory, is the only Asian character who has any sort of, uh, like, arc of what's right. whatsoever in the, in the entire series, I, to my memory. I also don't know if... And he didn't speak English, of course. That, oh, my God. <laughs> I also don't know if there are any... Okay, so that character, and then beyond that, I can't, like, call to mind other like characters of color or like oh, I can't I, I can't think of a black man who has a big nope. role I can't think of any um like certainly nobody is speaking Spanish that I can think of like I don't know I can't think of that being in that show right and it then also a- true in the lesbian community of course there are also two lesbians <laughs> in right. Pittsburgh in the in, world all, of in the entire city <laughs> Who are for some reason best friends with? Well, I mean, I know the reason, like college or whatever, but like they're <laughs> best friends with only gay men, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is true from my life. That's I don't know. That's yeah. It's, I'm just <laughs> yeah, yeah. So at that time that you're watching this, are you uh, having any awareness of like the stuff that we're talking about now? No, 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 no. Of course not. I, I think that's why I was like so. Uh, you know, there was eventually this disillusionment process, right, where this whole fantasy that I had in my head gets shattered because I'm like, oh, I'm not included in this, right? I'm not actually part of this whole, like, sexy desire circuit party thing, right? When did you find that out? Pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I went to... Columbia in New York and I came I came to New York for the summer because I knew someone in my high school who went to Columbia and I stayed with him for a week in his dorm and oh man you said him I was wondering if the person you went to um that you knew who went to Columbia was um Meadow Soprano sorry I'm so sorry (laughs) I am so sorry oh do you want to play that game (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry let's keep going keep going I'm so sorry (laughs) but yeah um, and, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, and I went to, I snuck into gay bars, uh, freshman year early on during that time. Uh, and I just, you know, you, you realize quickly when you are wanted and, uh, when you get to participate in something, uh, and, you know, I didn't know the rules. I didn't know how to do it. And so it was, uh, it eventually was a kind of lonely experience, I think, for me. And and maybe low-key traumatic, uh, which is why I still have like a weird relationship with a lot of gay bars, I think, for that reason. But I still love them too. So, you know, it's complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I mean, that, yeah. that makes sense. I, I certainly, I certainly can think of just in terms of what's represented, like, out, facing out from the gay male community of what sort of... And we don't have to... This doesn't have to... Well, is race included in what you're talking about? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's the defining feature, for me, at least, in I just didn't... Experience. I don't want to assume, so, yeah. No, 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 yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I would think, like, the exported version of what is acceptable for like an, a gay Asian man, I think is to be like very far on the side of um, femininity, you know, like it's like a right. very, um, you know, angular face and like maybe some makeup is at least the only thing that's even presented about like who might be in that community, right? right? Like it's like, it's certainly not, not like there are a shit ton of gay Asian men, but like the ones that are represented, you know, would be like a very skinny, very um, flicky wrist, you know, hyper feminine man. Right, right, right. So I feel like I don't, I don't know you, but I'm just, we're, we're video chatting. So like, I can see that we would wear the same shirts. Uh-huh. And um, you have like a deep voice, you know, so I'm just thinking that like there are some things that, you know, about you that already aren't that person. Yeah. 
I'm I'm because we're not in person. I'm I'm fairly tall, or people comment on how surprised. Oh, how tall are. are you? I'm I'm not actually. I'm just six feet, and I have like yeah decently broad shoulders, and I think that it gives the illusion of height sometimes. Sure. Um, and uh, I like to say that I like am six feet, but I present six two. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, and and that has been weird for me, weirdly, because I think that, uh, in my head, the only way that Asian men could even be desired was as a very specific type. And so. Am I getting that type right? Like to you, like, like, are we imagining the same person that you think, that you think has been desired? Yeah, I think it's pretty similar in the sense that, like, I think they're, like, supposed to be these, like, kind of femi super bottoms. That's, thank you. That's a, that's with an economy of words what I was trying to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well, you know, I love to label things, so. uh, No, but I mean, and again, it's not even who's there. It's just who's, like, being exported. Like, here's what we're looking for, you know, and here's, here's who's here, you know, it's. Right. Yeah. But even then, the, the ones who desire them you know it's it's like there's that whole rice queen dynamic yeah uh it gets very uh, because then that's like a type of person that you're looking for you're not like oh i love your personality but you also happen to be a hyper femi super bottom it's like looking right. for hyper femi super bottom right yeah yeah and I guess that's like the – it's a kind of existential question essentially if you're a gay Asian guy growing up in the States and you're trying to figure out what your sexuality looks like, who you are as a person, what you like. And then if you're told that there's only this one way of being that is desirable and that you'll only be desired by a certain group of people, that really limits your – the possibilities for yourself in this really – dark way I think and and then if your sexuality is kind of like built and wrapped around that I'm always like what is that you know what does that mean for your personhood in this like really deep way uh, and it can be hard to figure out who you are you know because I do think like becoming gay becoming male becoming anything is a process it's a, it is a becoming right and so if you have these sort of like ideas of like what is possible, then what do we limit ourselves from even imagining that we could be? Wow. And that's like kind of depressing. <laughs> right. Yeah, because I think what you're saying is the becoming is matching the thing with the, the with yourself with identity with societal with societal construct right and if that's that construct is determined by like white supremacy in this case or like how that is intersects with like masculinity and all of these things then what does that mean for you you know and i right. think that really fucked with my head for a long time and it honestly still does but yeah know. i mean because the and and please like correct me if i'm getting this wrong but inherent in the person that we're describing and like the interest in a rice queen is this like servile sure almost like i mean i don't want to use the word geisha but like you know like that it's like it's transference of that thing right that like thing that exists in american culture across the board for like any Asian person is that this sure. is like a demure, servile, like, you know, hardworking person I can dominate. Yeah. And it's that maybe there's a connection there to like that being expressed in gay male sexuality. Right. And it's tricky because like, you know, there are uh this isn't to in any way diminish or demean like gay Asian men who love that, right? Um, and who really get off on being submissive, for instance, right? And like get off on No, we celebrate you. We use me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um Well, what was but, your experience? Sorry, go ahead. What were you gonna say? Well, yeah, but and then and then that gets but I, I guess it's sort of like that is that bit, that white supremacy bit, that racism bit is always there. And then you sort of figure out your sexuality around that. I guess that's all it means. And then maybe it means like playing into that and sort of like fantasizing about that in this uh, way or like fetishizing that. Or maybe it means trying to find an exit route or something that looks different. You know, I think it can look different for different people. That's all I was trying to say. I'm not trying to 
you know, everyone's. I think you were totally clear. Bag. Okay. <laughs> I think you were totally clear. We're talking about you. Um, right, right. But I think oftentimes to talk about ourselves, especially in this podcast, we have to talk about the framework around us because right. we, you know, nobody lives just like genuinely as themselves, unperturbed by <laughs> right. by the uh, by the cultural matrix. Um, yeah. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! this actually worked for for you or worked out for you like you oh it hasn't <laughs> that's that's kind of what i was gonna ask like so you got to new york and it's like this like ultimate fantasy and then you you know you realize that that's not necessarily for you what has it been like since since that realization uh you know it's i feel i feel pretty good about who i am and where i am uh professionally speaking i think the I think, you know, just, I don't know, maybe being weirdly vulnerable on a podcast is new for me, but I don't know. It's still, it's still something that I'm working out in terms of uh, what it means for me in terms of dating. Uh, I am single, so, you know, that's a thing that I sort of interface with to various degrees. Um, yeah. yeah. And, I, and, and I think I keep, I realize I like keep doing this kind of thing of, imagining different places and different contexts for me to be in. So like after New York, I, uh, I lived in Korea for a little bit. Uh, and that was a totally different paradigm shift, right? Around sexuality and race and all of these things. Uh, I've lived in New York for the past like eight or so years again, but I fantasize now about moving to LA, uh, because in my head, I have this idea that, uh, that, Asian Americans have more power in LA uh, than they do in New York, and that that could be a nice context to put myself in. I don't know if that's actually true, though. You know, again, it's a, a fantasy that I think about, and then I'm like, maybe I'll try that out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, it's. I'd be so curious to hear what your experience would be on that, because I, you know, there's a there are thriving, like there's a thriving Korea town here, and um, right. And I don't know if how that plays out in terms of like at a bar, you know, right. I don't know. I mean, the reality is there is no utopia and I am old Why? enough to really, <laughs> I mean, we can start a commune. How about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to go back to you saying that you're like very happy or pretty happy with where you are professionally and, mm. um, so tell me a little bit more about what you do for New York Magazine Vulture. Sure. Uh, I am a features writer, uh, which means that I tend to, I, I uh, early on, I, uh, or I've done a lot of criticism and reported pieces, but generally now I uh, am mostly doing reported features, uh, which means profiles, uh, long interviews. Um, you know, I've spoken with you before on for Vulture. Uh, yeah. And that's my bag. So here's my question about that. And yeah. I have no idea. Do you like, so in like the stand-up world, you know everybody that's doing stand-up, right? Mm. It's just like after a period of time, you just know everybody. Mm -hmm. um, is that true in your world? Do you feel like writers who are sort of at your level, like you have an understanding of the sort of national landscape around that? I would imagine that it is. Yeah. I think we have a pretty good sense of uh, the media landscape and uh 
you know, like who's where. Yeah, uh, and what they're what getting they're to doing. write and everything. Yeah, Right, um, and who your competitors might be, right. essentially. Yeah. Do you feel like, I mean, because I happen to think that in your job, um, your identity like really matters and is extremely mm. important and valuable. Hmm. Um, That's and interesting. Yeah, do you, yeah, I I really do. So, do you find that you know other people who are writing the types of things that you're writing who there's a crossover for, with your identity? Like do you know other gay male Asian or Korean writers who are doing the types same types of pieces you are? You know, there aren't a lot. That's what I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so, I th- that's that was all to get to that that question. Um <laughs> I mean, there's definitely, uh, like, uh, Asian-American writers that I really like. Sure. Uh, critics. Um, uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, like, it is... it is, And then there are up-and-coming younger writers that I, you know, uh, keep my eye out on uh, and try to help out when I can, too. That's cool. Um but yeah, there there aren't a lot, especially I think when you're thinking and talking about a very particular sect of like long form culture writing. Right. Yeah. Like there's just Yeah, that's really- exactly right. It's like that's what I mean. It's like it keeps it's like if you go out here, if you're big, you can kind of get but then as the, as you get more and more narrow, like equivalent place in career, you know, like and equivalent uh topics and things like that, it just it, you know whittles down and then it's like oh it's actually me <laughs> right i'm the one or whatever i think i mean you you said you thought it was interesting that that i thought your identity really matters do you disagree with that or, or no i think that's just something that changed uh over time especially uh within the bigger uh cultural discourse especially at like blue chip publications like new york magazine or yeah, the new yorker sure. or the new york times yes. or you know all the new yorks basically right um <laughs> But yeah. yeah, you know, like, because uh, I, when I started at Vulture, I was an intern in 2013. And I, you know, there was no Asian American staffer on, uh, you know, there was no Asian American staffer. Uh, and I remember early on, uh, I, a lot of the stories that I did after I got hired full time were just of people that I thought were amazing that never got the coverage or respect that I thought they they deserved for their work. And so that included like RuPaul and John Cho and all of these people, right, who are like to me mainstays in the culture. And they no one had ever done like a decent long interview with them or a profile of them. And wow. I thought that was wild. And And, you know, I was fortunate enough to like be in a place that let me do that. So it was both being in a place that had reach and prestige and then me being a person who was like, oh, but these are all the things that I love that no one is doing. Why don't we try doing them? And so I think it was, uh, I think that was around the time when the culture started to shift around this, right? Where people started to see how many blind spots existed in media, especially around how we talk about culture and representation and all of these things. Um, and so, you know, it was a, a boon in that way because I was allowed to pursue the things that I found interesting, legitimately interesting. And then those did well. And then it just, you know, capital iterates mm. itself. So... They were like, go, do more. And I was like, great. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you just hit on one of the reasons I think it matters, which is just flu- fluency or um, familiarity at all, right? right? Um, because I think, well, I mean, even as we talk about this, I think that it's brought up with this like, well, we need other You know, like, of course I want you in the room when Scarlett Johansson talks about being cast to play an Asian character. Like, of course. But I think that's the one way that we talk about this sort of thing. We just Mm -hmm. talk about, like, there should be a gay person covering gay things or there should be, like, an Asian person covering Asian things. Mm -hmm. But I think that um, other ways that we don't talk about it being important are, I'll give you an example. Um, the Christopher Hitchens article that was why women aren't funny. 
Do you remember what I'm talking about at all? It doesn't matter. It's like from like 2007 or something like that. Christopher Hitchens wrote an article, Why Women Aren't Funny. And uh-huh. then literally like every um, glossy magazine, every like high profile, um, highfalutin, you know, like the New Yorker and Cosmo and like the Chicago Tribune all wrote their own shit on this. So it really was like he wrote this thing and it really cut through culture. So everybody felt like they had to respond. Mm. And people started interviewing women who d- <laughs> did their job already. Like literally were like professional comedians. I got interviewed a lot. I was like an open micer. It was awful. Mm. Um, but There wasn't, there wasn't anybody even to like, like, that's not a, I guess maybe that is a woman thing, but I just mean, no one wrote about Christopher Hitchens. Like, mm-hmm. like people just started writing about, people started, other men started writing about women. Nobody wrote about why this guy like thought he should, There, it just didn't feel like every viewpoint was there. It felt like, mm-hmm. um, like turning the lens back onto him. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I think it's not just about having the person in-house to write the article, but it's also like having somebody with lived experience who knows what might even be interesting or what mm. might not be getting covered on mm. something like that, where it's like mm-hmm. a topic that's being run into the ground. So it's not just you doing the first profile that's of that length on John Cho, but it's also you knowing that this might be like a way that a particular thing hasn't been covered. Right. Because I remember reading old interviews with John Cho before to prep, and I was like, is he boring? (laughs) Yes, sure. Because every single interview, I was just like, he comes off. Like the most uninteresting human being I've ever like read in my entire life. What were they asking him about? I don't even remember. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. It was just like so bland and so neutral and so nothing. And then I met him and he was warm and thoughtful and like engaged and like said some fiery things and like really thought like intellectually about like the camera and lighting and how that affects race and all of these things, right? Things that like... He had, I don't know, to my mind, never spoken about in in a publication, right? And then I was like, oh, no, he's great. He just never got the right time and space to be that person. That you know, which, is right. That's a, that is a better, yes, that's what I, I think I was trying to say. Actually, this is truly in-house um, at the place where you work. Um, Jesse David Fox sat down with me mm-hmm. and we did an hour long podcast about my stand-up special rape jokes. And like, he is so thorough that he had like, he just had watched everything I'd ever done and like really done all the prep and like listened to a bunch of interviews. He like really had deep familiarity with me. And I feel like, um, I am not totally mainstream, you know, Mm-hmm. But I have been very successful as a as a stand-up. And mm-hmm. I feel like that was the first time that I ever felt like that amount of framing was done mm-hmm. for something. Mm-hmm. Um and there was like so much care behind it. And mm-hmm. anyway. Right. Because you can't go into an interview with someone who's like doesn't basically doesn't know your entire oeuvre that you've been at this for years and years and years. Right. And then they're like, so right. <laughs> you, you did the special. Yeah, exactly. Where'd that come from? <laughs> you know, like it's so wacky to think like that these people don't have these deep careers. Right. Uh, that's, then, but that's true. People do. Yeah. Don't think, yeah. Don't think of deep careers. Right. And it's like, you know, and, and I think part of the job at least that, you know, like I try to do, and I know Jesse tries to do too, is that like we try to do our homework and we, and that's part of being respectful, right? Like we like the person's work. So we generally probably have a familiarity with them anyway, but then you go that extra mile and you want to like be thoughtful and be respectful to them as a artist, you know? And I think that's a bare minimum of what we should be doing. (laughs) I mean, the other thing that is I think true about 
I mean, I'm like laughing because what you just said is like respectful. Like, (laughs) what the (laughs) fuck are you suggesting? It's not like I've only had terrible experiences or anything. I've had some really great experiences, but it's that was just one that stood out to me as like, oh, this is what it feels like to just be like taken seriously to this degree. And I think, I mean, the other reason I said that I think like identity matters is because I think if you're somebody who's part of a marginalized community, you know, mm-hmm. The world doesn't take us seriously. Culture mm-hmm. doesn't take us seriously. The president mm-hmm. doesn't take us seriously. So, you know, I walk into an interview feeling that way. Right. You know, and I think, I do think that it matters that the other, when the other person on the other side of the table has some commonality, commonality there. And I mean, J- Jesse doesn't, but like maybe just is extremely... Um, empathetic. I felt like he was very empathetic, but, um, but lived experience is like the easiest access point for empathy. There are other ways to, to be empathetic, but the lived experience is the easiest one. Totally. And there are things, there are places that you can go when you do have a commonality in terms of lived experience. Right. But I also don't think lived experience is a replacement for doing the work. There it is. Look at you. (laughs) Uh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. You still got to do the work. And that's why, you know, it's great. Uh, You know, like, I think it's great to have match people who might be right for the subject. But I also think it's important to just uh, have people who sort of spiritually can connect with a, a, another person in terms of like profiling or interviewing mm. or stuff like that. Is that? Do you feel like you can do that? Spiritually connect? I, I think so. I mean, I think it depends on the interview, the context, uh, the person, all of those things. But I, I try to, you know, like I, I don't know how you feel um, when you do interviews, but I definitely, I don't know, when I'm in that box with someone, it's sort of like, it's kind of like being in therapy a little bit where you're just kind of, you know, you know that this is a constructed space, but that it is a space that, you can have real intimacy um, and real connection, even if it's brief, you know? I certainly feel like I felt that with, like, for instance, like Sandra O, oh, for instance, where I felt, like, deeply connected to her in this moment. Um, and I love her. Oh, my right? God, as I, I clutch my chest. I know. <laughs> I, like, get, goosebumps, like, actual goosebumps on my Teary-eyed arms. every time I think about our interaction, you know, because it was, like, it was also meaningful for me to, like, just talk with her about what it meant to be an artist and grow up facing and try to do good work when you're facing all of these obstacles. Um, You know, those things resonated with me. And it was like a powerful, I think, interaction for me personally, you know. And I think that that was real, um, even though I know that it's constructed and for a magazine and all of these things. But, you know, we pay therapists and (laughs) in this constructed box too. So that's sort of how I end up thinking about it. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I don't, yeah, I think it I think it is real. I mean, it's not um sitting with a lifelong friend or whatever. Uh But the whole reason I wanted to do this particular project and and talk with folks is because I I just felt like there were a lot of people I was interested in who weren't being given an opportunity to talk about their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also felt like the people who were getting attention and being given that opportunity were being asked um, just like solely about coming out. Mm-hmm. That was the only it. That was the only thing. That was the right. only that was like <laughs> fully. Right. I don't even know if like I'd love to look through, you know, like ta- like fresh air tapes and just see. Like, <laughs> just listen and see like, what got cut or if it was just like being asked about coming out. <laughs> and like that's it's actually great too you know that's part of our story and everything but um I, sure i guess i think it has you have to you have to know that there's something after that in order to know to ask right <laughs> and since right. we live in a culture that doesn't even suggest that you could have anal sex facing each other it's hard to know <laughs> there's anything after anal sex facing each other right yeah so I was going to ask you, I can't tell if this is a stupid question. So you could just tell me if it is. Um, Because I was going to ask you, 
you know, who you're sort of interested in now or what you're sort of interested in now, like Hmm. what speaks to you, um, in culture. And if that feels like impossible to answer, you can just say, I don't like you as a person. (laughs) No, (laughs) right now I am most excited by, uh, I think black theater writers, uh, wow. And queer comedy people like you. Woo. You know? Yeah. Like I think, I think those are the two most exciting and fertile places right now for creativity. It it feels like it's not quite as hampered in certain ways, like TV and film have been uh lately. Even mm. though there's this boom time for TV, it's also I don't know. I'm I'm a little suspicious of it and it doesn't quite resonate with me necessarily. And but I think comedy has been amazing in the past few years, especially queer comics. I think they're doing incredible work and like really changing the form in this really exciting way, you know? And then I would say the same for theater work. Like I saw a fair view by Jackie Sibley's Drury. It's uh, at the theater for a new audience right now in Brooklyn. And it is truly mind blowing and one of the best works I've seen full stop. Um, it's and and I don't even like it's it's one of those things that it's even hard to talk about because I think you need the theatrical experience, right? Like being in the room and watching it is incredible. Um, yeah, and so so that that is what has excited me lately. Like those are the things that I've found really exciting, and uh, you know, can I ask you a yeah. question about the about um, that show that you mentioned? Sure, Fairview. Yeah. Yes, Fairview. Um, yeah. When you went to see it, and I mean, like, it's Brooklyn, so the answer to this could be, I genuinely, it could be, I genuinely don't know, Mm because Brooklyn has so many different, um, it even means so many different things, like, depending on the words around it. It is, like, a word that needs context. So, uh, black playwright? Black Mm -hmm. cast? Uh, Yes. Uh, Black and white. Okay. What about the audience? The audience is predominantly white. But the piece is about the white gaze. Oh, interesting. So the audience is in some ways indicted, which is really interesting. It's like a really exciting work. (laughs) Wow. And how do you feel in that space, if you don't mind my asking? Like, you're not a black person, not a white person, in a space where that's the major tension Right. What is that like for you as a, like both a theater goer or, but also the person that does your job? Uh, I guess like my, like instinctive, because the, the work is still, it's because it's constructed around the white gaze. It's thinking about how people of color have had to deal or endure with that. And I guess that's something that I feel deeply in my life. Right. So that is I guess my empathetic kind of response is going to be with black folks and their experience um, mm-hmm. and their how they're thinking about making work and art and consuming it and also being consumed by white people is something that I also think about. Um, and so I guess my alignment is more around th- their experiences um, while also knowing that it's always going to be different, um, that mine is not theirs and theirs isn't mine either. Yeah. Um, Oh, that's so well said. I mean, the way that you just said that is it's very well said. Um, okay, this is a completely out of nowhere question. And mm, I think sure. then after this, I will get to your queero. But I've just been okay. thinking about this the whole time. What is going on in the back of your hair? Do you have a little oh, ponytail? I do. Yeah. Let me, can I see it? Yeah, sure. Can, you, wait, can I see wait. how long it is? Oh, yeah. One second. Oh, wow. You have like long hair. I do. Oh, it's so beautiful. I'm- <laughs> I, did, I just like it's so hot here oh, right yeah. now oh <laughs> yeah you can put it right back up I did not oh, mean no, 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 no. to right fuck with your fine. shit <laughs> um, I guess I I was, ask, I was asking about that because I also was wondering you know I I have no idea what it's like uh, in New York right now but just thinking about like in general it feels like Maybe longer hair on men is now having like 
a little bit of moment of acceptance in the gay male <laughs> community that I, I have never seen before. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh, right. I have no idea if you're experiencing that or if you have like any Well, I have never had the Nazi youth haircut. So You've never had what? I've never had the Nazi youth haircut. Yes, so, yes, yes. You yes, know, yes. I really take pride in that. Um <laughs> It really overtook the gay male community yes. by storm yeah. for many years. Uh, I think they're just pulling out of it now. But uh, I think the long hair embrace might be a kind of soft backlash to that is my sense of it. But I have had this haircut for a few years now. So I like to think that I'm outside do you of feel the any? Do you feel any different? Does, are you feeling any? I mean, what do what do... What do you folks folks think of your long hair? I just ask because like short hair is such a thing, you know, for right. uh, folks who would wear my shirt or whatever. So I didn't know. I don't know what long hair is like for folks who might wear your shirt. <laughs> right. I guess I don't know if people comment that much on it uh, to me. Yeah, I, f- I, I, I think it mostly goes on. Can I ask you, is it because you're too tall and no one can see the top of your head? It <laughs> <laughs> might be the case. <laughs> or maybe they think that I have a black belt and I'll beat them up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> They're like, no hair questions accepted. <laughs> um well, I love your hair. I think it looks thank great you. with your glasses. I love your hair, too. Oh, thank you. The blonde yeah. is new. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. When did you do it? I did it like a couple... You say when? You say when? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I did it like a couple months ago, and now it's like at this... I have like these very kind of interesting I, roots that I'm super I like, into. Yeah, I love the roots. I think like, they're great. I've had it re-dyed since then, but now I just shot something, and I... Wasn't sure if I was going to get rid of them, but I decided to keep them for the thing. Oh, shit. I don't know. Look, life is full of really small decisions that don't matter even one ounce, <laughs> but that I will continue to take very seriously for no reason. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, that's, <laughs> queer aesthetics are important. Yeah, that's why I was asking about that that oh, totally. hair. And it was it's like way longer than I thought it was. I thought it was just going to be like a teeny little no. um, ponytail, but you have like long hair. It's unafraid. Yeah, know. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I love it. And um, anyway, before I send you back into your day, thank you so much for making time. Oh, no, thank you. I loved talking with you. And um, I was bewildered that I was asked to be on this podcast because I love it. And I think there are so many great people that are on it. <laughs> well, look at this. I actually, I, I think this is going to go out Monday. I think this is our Monday. Um, I was talking to Jordan in the booth, uh, (laughs) because sometimes, uh, the conversation just flows real nice. Um, yeah, I really love talking with you. And and before I send you back to your day, would you shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing made you feel like you can be who you are today? Sure. Uh, you know, I just thought of it when you were explaining the person, place, or thing thing. Yeah. That it could be any noun. Because at first I was thinking like, oh, it needs to be the singular human being or whatever. Uh, but I think it's... So when I was living in Seoul, I joined a gay men's tennis group. And uh, I was like the youngest one there. And you would like play every Sunday on these like clay courts on the Han River. And it was like beautiful. And this like community of gay men who are, you know, obviously all Korean and like... You know, and you just play tennis for like all day and then go get like food uh, afterwards and then drink afterwards. And it was like this incredible time for me. You know, it was like this really, it, it just like was fortifying, you know, for my spirit, myself uh, in all of these ways uh, as a younger gay person trying to sort of figure out who I could be. Right. And in all of these conversations we were talking about, about who you could be. And I think that that kind of helped me sort of recontextualize myself in terms of thinking that it could be much more than what Americans think. Right. Which is very small and narrow sometimes. And so it opens the world up in this way that I thought was really important for me. Wow. Yeah. I cannot believe we'd, I wish we had, now I just want to have you on for a whole other hour to hear more about <laughs> you living in Seoul. Um, did you have a sense of belonging there? Was that was that part of the feeling? Uh, kind In of. In that tennis group, just the tennis group. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's complicated. It's like, it was like I always kind of knew that it was a little transitory, you know, because uh-huh. I I didn't necessarily think I would ever live live in Korea, even though I did live there for a few years. I didn't think of myself as settling there. Um, and my Korean was pretty good by that point, too. So that was an important thing that uh, I was able to like, because no one really spoke English, right? But I was still the American in the group, right? That was kind of my identity uh, in a funny way. Right. Uh, that I'm, quote unquote, the American. And then in America, people don't think I'm American. Right, right. So it's this like interesting uh, reversal that happens. And of course, when I speak Korean, it still kind of has this like Americanized accent to it, right? So when I speak Korean, I sound kind of American, um, which is, you know, again, funny folds and reversals there. Mm. Uh, but yeah, you know, like I... So you mean, know, I never felt excluded because Koreans are kind of nationalist, essentially. And right. so that worked to my favor, right? They are like ethno-nationalists mm. in that way where they're like, yeah, you will always be Korean. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that like works differently if you're like a migrant worker from the Philippines living in Korea. Like sure. that's like a totally different uh, experience. And then, but for me as a Korean American, it's a much more privileged one, right? Because they can understand why my parents went to America. Um, and then, and then there is this kind of like, uh, envy around being American, speaking English, all of these things. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a complicated, slightly mixed bag of things, but they still ultimately are like, yes, you are Korean and you are one of us. So um, maybe, Great. Yeah, maybe not totally belonging then. Maybe just expanding. Maybe yeah. maybe just expanding. Not necessarily that, belonging. Yeah, isn't that all we want to do is just mm-hmm. expand like we're the blob or the universe or something? <laughs> <laughs> just one of those two things. Yeah. Hey, this was a total pleasure. Thanks again. Yeah, this went this was great. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. 